I'm always amazed by people. And one of the things I love about doing this podcast is the ability to talk to different people and hear their stories, the struggles they've gone through, the success that they have gone through, and just a little bit of everything. This gentleman that I have on this podcast, let's say he was um, he was one that was struggling. I guess you could say, well, no, he was. He was struggling. He, since 2001, though, now he is free from drugs and alcohol, and he's living a new life away from the streets. He was homeless at one point. He was also a heroin addict, an alcoholic, and now he has created some businesses. He has started a nonprofit organization called the Agape Projects, and he has written a new book. And... The book, I've been pushing this book because it's amazing. And if you haven't read it yet, oh God, please, please, please do yourself a favor and get it. It's called Chasing a Flawed Son. And you can actually go to chasingaflawedson.com and purchase it from there. Or of course, you can look in the show notes and we'll have a link for it right there. So the man's name is Daniel McGee, a very, very interesting gentleman and very interesting story. For those of you that don't know, every September is National Recovery Month, and it's to increase awareness and understanding of mental and substance use disorders and celebrate the people who have recovered. So what we want to do, and when I say we, I mean us, you know, here at Harford County Living, as well as the Harford County Health Department, we would like to get everybody to put purple lights on their porch or somewhere outside. And if you don't have purple lights, I'll have a link down here where you can purchase them. And also get a purple shirt and wear that on September 25th to show your support for National Recovery Month. This is the Harford County Living Show. Voted as Harper County's favorite local podcast, introducing you to local businesses, organizations, artists, musicians, and more. Harper County Living, there's no place like it. Here's your host, Rich Bennett. I'd like to welcome everybody to Harper County Living. I am joined here today by Lyle and Teresa. And before I get to my guests, I just want to say a few things about him, first of all. Okay, he started a nonprofit couple businesses but he's written a book and I love to read there are three books that I can read over and over and over again one being Two Seeds with Maury by Mitch Alvin uh, Five People You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Alvin and The Secret and he's written a book which is now joining those other three because this is one that I can read over and over again and I think by far it's got to be one of the best books I have read in a long time. It's called Chasing a Flawed Son and uh, we're sitting here with Daniel McGee today and he talks about how heroin basically has saved his life. Not in the way that you think, but it has saved his life. So Daniel, welcome to the show first of all. Thank Thank you you for coming out. Chasing a Flawed Son. Uh, I got it and I think I even said this to you in a message. This is a, a book that we could do several different episodes on. But I, I guess, what made you write it, first of all? 
Well, one of the talents that I was given since birth was the ability to write. It was just okay. I, I wrote poetry and I had, you know, I wrote short stories as a child. And then I kind of got um, swayed from, from the path of uh, learning and being in school and all that and took the wrong road and, and messed up my life for many years. So when I finally was able to get myself back into normal living after I got clean off of drugs and alcohol, everybody kept telling me, you need to write a story, you need to write a story, uh, you need to write write about your life, and I put it off probably for a decade until I finally found the courage to do so. You put it off that long? Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm a procrastinator, I'm a, I'm a, I, I fear commitment for sure, so wow. any, anything that takes a lot of work, you know, I would write a page and give up, and then I would write a page and give up, but uh, once I finally committed and 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 sat down and wrote you know maybe 20 pages then it was like no turning back like i've got this far i have to yeah it's like reading it once you start you can't stop so how long did it actually take you to write because that means a pretty thick book (laughs) yeah i well once i once i got started i I wanted to get it out as soon as possible because of the opioid crisis and and and, you know if, if it could stop one life from being lost you know i want to get it out as soon as possible and in yeah. people's hands so i i smashed through it in probably uh six months maybe even less wow. in fact the majority of the book was written in a four-week period i went to costa rica during rainy season i flew down there <laughs> nothing to do when it's raining right <laughs> right right and i sat outside in a little casita in the rainforest as it poured down rain around me and I just hammered it out on my laptop for for about 10 days I came home for a week and I said I need to go back and finish and flew back down for another 10 days and hammered it out and part of the reason is because when I wrote this book I tapped into the darkest times of my life and not only was I able to remember everything I experienced vividly but I felt all the emotions and depression and anxiety of the worst times of my life Right. all over again i felt the thoughts the feelings and everything so it spun it put me i was in costa rica and in tropical paradise but i was in a really dark place in my mind so i i kind of wanted to protect myself by being away from baltimore and, and all that when i see did that's it. one of the things i love about this it's like the way it's written it's as if i'm in your mind it's like i'm you Right. and it just it's weird and you go through all these different emotions even while reading it you get you get pissed off, you get happy, oh, you get yeah. sad, but it, you just can't put it down. And first of all, I want to applaud you for writing something like this and bringing your story out. I think Thank a you. ton of people need to read this. Actually, I think everybody needs to read it. But uh, it just—I know you've been trying to get the book out to like the detention center and all that, right? Yeah. Well, they bought sixty copies and. Um they're handing them out, and and in That's fact, good. when I leave here, I'm going to Baltimore City to the main the the prison libraries for all that they have a um, office down in the city, and then I'm going to drop off a book down there for each each prison library in the state. Oh wow! Yeah, I've. I've gotten contacted by some other jails and places, and I'm going to get them out too. I guess that's one one uh, advantage of being self-published too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know a lot, we've had other authors on, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Al, but they said. If like when they go through publishing companies, they can only request so many books. Wow. Uh, yeah, which I don't, I don't understand that. So all right, let's start from the beginning then, because you, it, I mean, it's basically starting when you're in elementary school, right? Right, right. The painting, the graffiti. All yeah, that. yeah. I mean, I would have never thought anything like that. Yeah, you. I'm going. You can explain the first part because Teresa. And, and Law haven't read it. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, basically, how you got into this, to everything. 
so the book is my life story from the time I was young. I I, I was looking for a start and spot, and I, I figured I'd explain everything yeah. from from when I was, I was born into a um, lower middle class family out here in Harford County. I didn't I didn't need for anything. I wanted for a lot, but I didn't need for anything, and um. I was a very emotional, empathetic, caring, good child. But I didn't like that about myself. I didn't feel like that was um I didn't feel like that was something that was useful in this in the hard right. world around me. I wanted to be a tough guy. I all my friends were from single family homes. All my friends were um were were bigger than me and tougher than me and harder than me and I wanted to be somebody that I wasn't. And so I built walls around myself and I, I, and I became, you know, I forced myself to be violent and to be a bad kid and to break the rules and do everything to, to, to fit in and even be a leader amongst those type of people. And so um, I, I um, one of the things that helped me do that was alcohol. Right. And so I began breaking the law and drinking at a very early age. Thinking that, I guess, because of being so young, you, you wouldn't... I don't know, get into trouble or, I mean, I wouldn't, just because you wanted to be tougher, I can understand, but I mean. I watch, yeah. I watch pop culture, I watch movies, I listen to music, I listen to gangster rappers, and I watch gangsters on TV, and I just, I had, uh, um, I wanted excitement, adrenaline, right. those were things that I wanted, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be hard and callous and cold and, you know, a big shot and I wanted to women and I, you know, those are things that I just grew up idolizing and looking up to, but that wasn't my real nature. That wasn't really right. me. So the way that I, you know, didn't want to feel left out. I could prove to everybody else that I wasn't this weak, soft little guy if I went and did crazy stuff. If I, if I hurt people, if I broke laws, if I stole, if I did all this crazy stuff, I thought maybe I could prove to people that I was somebody that I really wasn't. Right. And then I found that, that even though I was super shy around women and I wasn't really this tough guy, I didn't really want to hurt people, I found out that alcohol could make me that person. Right. Alcohol could make me hurt people with no conscience, and alcohol could make me talk to women with without being shy. And so, I started drinking, and next thing you know, I liked the person I was when I drank, so I did it every single day. Wow. At a very early age. Wow. Holy cow. Uh, yeah, I guess alcohol can change you. I mean, it, it I mean, just put you in that mind to where you yeah, you feel like you, you you can conquer the world. I guess is alcohol people. and drugs just designed for that purpose? I mean, yeah. don't they bring out exactly the person that you want to be or the person that you? I mean, why do Sometimes people start using to, to begin either, with? Though. And I'm listening to you, and it's almost making me cry because <laughs> that's the person my kid was, right. and I'm not going to be able to hear. He won't get straight. You yeah. know, I'm, I won't be able to hear him say this to me, which is kind of good, um, because he was just soft and sweet. But he was that person. He was this charismatic, and I'm thinking, this is helping me understand him, mm -hmm. you know, which is what I worried about coming here. I'm like, okay, do I really want the real story? Part of me does, and part of me doesn't. Um, but I think that this is going to be even more helpful, because who I relate to are the mothers that have lost their children. And um, we're the people that don't get to see our kids get married. Don't, well, I did, was lucky enough to get a grandchild or, but they never, without that closure, even with the getting clean, until you've lived active recovery 
the family doesn't get the answers mm-hmm. that they why 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 and you everything in drugs and alcohol goes back to being broken people mm-hmm. pick up and use because they want to feel or they want to be somebody else and that's exactly what what you've said and it starts why does it start so young i used to think for me it was because we divorced my husband and i um you know and i remember them pulling chris off of me when when i had to hand him over to go to school and st- i just remember a lot of emotion and i'm th- what i'm hearing from you which i'm really tying into is the fact that maybe maybe the people that are most susceptible to drugs and alcohol or the abuse or addiction are people that are highly emotional are people that are really masking something else or looking something else so if you're disconnected maybe you're less predisposed to being you know um an addict i don't know 100 percent yeah i I see highly intelligent people are prone you know how they say ignorance is bliss Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like if you're not if you're emotional and intelligent and you're tuned into everything in this world and you absorb it, like you're more prone to want to make those feelings go away with drugs or alcohol, yeah, sure. 100%. I see it all the time. Very creative, very intelligent. Addicts are, are amazing people. And mm-hmm. when they get clean, it comes out. You know, when they, when they get clean and really work on themselves internally. But unfortunately, there's the lethal aspect of but drugs. That is there also another tie to this, perhaps, that... One of the things that has taken a backseat from years ago before there was huge drug epidemics was church. Forget about your, you know, recovery programs are highly spiritual programs, but with that being said, there was a place to go. There was an audience. There was a community. There were people instilling, saying it's okay to be who you are here. Mm-hmm. With, with that going away, regardless of why, whether it's politically incorrect, whether it's just rejection of religion or whatever it is, I've been in the rooms of 12-step programs and I always said to myself and I was neither an alcoholic nor a drug addict but I always said there's a lot of learning in these rooms this program is for everybody and when church went away where were people getting the spiritual fulfillment where were they getting this connection to other people well where at home well homes are broken now you've got no church or no religion or no source of community outside of the spiritual thing you've got broken homes where are these emotional, creative, intelligent people going? They're going to drugs, alcohol, and each other. And in that vein of misery loves company, don't they cling to other addicts? I've, I've never really seen a solo addict, you know, out there by themselves. Maybe when they're using or they're hoarding or they're, but really aren't they, you know, it's much like homeless people where you kind of find your herd, your tribe. Um, and I think there's a lot of understanding and a lot of value that, that recover, people in recovery like yourself bring to the general public because I think they're the ones that have the ignorance. Well, there is, and you, know, you both bring up two uh, entirely different environments, you know, with your son and, and the way you grew up. Um, and it, you know, it, it, if you look at just the surface of your of your childhood, there was nothing really wrong. You know, you had a, you had a family unit. Um, uh, you know, apparently your, your family was, was uh, well-grounded. There was just something missing in you. Mm-hmm. Um, you felt left out. You felt, you know, um, uh, as an outsider, I guess, with your with your peers. And and then you look at your your son. Um, you think maybe a divorce had something to do with it, um, caused some conflict with him. And so both, I, I'm guessing both of the, both of them or, or him and you were uh, looking for an escape mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to to not just mask a problem, but but uh, create a different reality for yourself, mm-hmm. and 
you know, it, it's the easiest thing to turn to is alcohol and drugs because they're there. What do you think would happen to a highly successful child, somebody that grew up given everything, all the best, uh, gifted and talented, um, student council, uh, award-winning, if all of that was lost overnight? How do you think that person would fare when, every, when everything, all they've ever gotten in their life was support, encouragement, upbringing? I imagine there would be a huge... Uh, tidal wave of mm -hmm. uh, it, which perhaps you know why is there all this youth suicide and all these things going on and I'm going to say all of this goes back to emotion and spirituality mm -hmm. regardless of what your belief system is somewhere inside of each one of these individuals something is lacking something is missing something isn't supported right. by by those we look for with you don't whether it's your family or whether it's your friends or I, I mean the fear of rejection insecurities all of these things feed feed crazy the way this is and you have to go to a group that says it's okay to be broken yeah. i mean what did it take in your recovery and i hope to read your book i really do it's a little it's a little tender for me <laughs> but i'm sure i would get so much out of it as any parent probably would because i stand in a large group of people right anymore and um you know i'm fortunate enough to be in a better place than i think a lot of a lot of parents would be where i've accepted it and you know and kind of keep yeah. it you know um, where a lot of parents don't, but I don't even think that while the value in this book is at prisons and jails and other things that we were talking about before we went on air, there's going to be an even greater value um, maybe to helping some families find some healing to say, hey, it wasn't me. Maybe it wasn't, you know, don't take ownership. I think the ownership belongs with the addict. But the circumstances certainly surrounding all of that, because I, I feel like people too often parents absorb yeah. full responsibility for decisions and actions that you know and and how you process is how you process mm -hmm. there's a there's a few things i want to touch on first off when i wrote this book the first people that i had in mind were the loved ones of addicts right and addicts that passed mm -hmm. that's who this book is mostly my journey through the depths mm -hmm. of hell and addiction and very little what happened afterwards that's in another book mm. <laughs> that's in my next my next <laughs> book will be recovery and advice and yeah. my story of how i got clean and stay clean and all that but this was written mostly hmm. for people and the most feedback i get from this book is from people who have loved ones or lost loved ones right. saying you helped me understand yeah. thank you like now i understand and i feel more at peace yeah, yeah, that's what every that, that's what they're looking for. That was kind of like my main goal writing this book and who I had in mind. I could have went a lot of different ways with it. It just so happens that I also wanted to bring hope to addicts and people that are still suffering, as well as give people in recovery some insight onto why they may have done what they did. Because as it's always said, I said this last night in a meeting, drugs and alcohol are not the disease, they're a symptom. I mean, there's a greater underlying issue for every one of us. Right. Which brings me back to um, the beginning, the, the familial unit that we were talking about. My parents were together they met in high school they never had any other sexual partners mm -hmm. they never touched a drug they never smoked a cigarette they were the ideal i mean they made their mistakes they were very young when they had me but they there was no there was no trauma in my right. childhood there was mm -hmm. no molestation or anything mm -hmm. like that which is is very common in addiction or, or people that came from broken homes and there was molestation and there was there was um violence in the home and all that kind of stuff but also 
there's a lot of addicts out there who came from two parent good families. They were loved. Right. Yeah, they, loved. That, loved. they were raised to the best of their ability. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. there's addicts like my friend. He, I almost said his name. Um, <laughs> he's clean now. His first shot of heroin came from his own mother. She shot Jesus. him up with the heroin when he was 14 years wow. old. So there's there's all kinds of different playing fields here and mm-hmm. reasons why people get into addiction because of shame from being molested and guilt and all that kind of stuff to people like me who I was a small kid and you know I was a loving kid and I didn't want to be that because all my friends mm-hmm. were, were different to me I wanted to be bigger and badder and you know so I used for different reasons I didn't wow. jump straight into heroin the alcohol made right. me a superhuman the alcohol is my number one problem believe it or not and that's why when we get into the book, I say heroin saved my life because I was on a crash course to kill somebody. Let me let me or, ask you something controversial then. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about marijuana? See, because that was my son's, and there are so many proponents of marijuana because it has medical uh, benefits and other things. And I, I, okay, in the world of recovering addicts, there's abstinence from all drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a person that has a clearance. I don't care what kind of oils or byproducts of we are, you are not allowed to uh, partake in any of those right. kinds of things. So how do you feel from your, you've seen a lot, you've, you've, you know, your perspective on that space needle or whatever right. that is, you know, you're pretty up to the top when it comes from having lived through this in, in, the, in the vein of, of um, addiction and recovery. So how do you feel about marijuana? This is a super tricky yes, subject. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's why very, I asked. very tricky. Yeah. And it's something that I've been involved with a lot lately because I have a lot of friends. I'm professional people, lawyers, doctors who smoke marijuana or eat marijuana now. I have I've come across this conversation all the time. This is my opinion. I have never I never liked marijuana because it gave me anxiety. All my friends smoked marijuana growing up, all of them, but I, it gives me anxiety. I'm like this 1% where my liver processes it differently and it has an adverse reaction. That being said, I've always been a huge proponent of marijuana. Now, when it comes to recovery, there's certain people that it benefits, though. When it comes to recovery, first off, I don't think marijuana is a gateway drug. I think alcohol is a gateway drug. Um, Ooh. uh, uh, Alcohol definitely is. Yeah. and alcohol is the most dangerous drug. It's the only yeah. drug, it, besides benzos, it's the only drug that you can die from withdrawal. It's the only drug that ever made me black out, beat people half to death and not remember it. Heroin, cocaine, none of those drugs ever made me do any of that stuff. Alcohol was the worst. It's also the most common. and And there's nothing wrong with it if you can control it. Right. That being said, I don't believe marijuana is for addicts in recovery because now if you get 10 years clean 12 years clean and you decide that you can smoke a little marijuana to help ease your anxiety or depression and go to sleep at night then you've you've already crossed the bridge of recovery and gotten to a point where you can try that but in early recovery this is what happens people get clean and they want to substitute with marijuana and they say oh it's going to help me with my anxiety you need to learn how to live life on life's terms and deal with all the emotions and all the raw feelings mm-hmm. that life brings to you without drugs or alcohol because we use drugs and alcohol to numb it for so long. So when you get clean off of drugs and alcohol and decide, hey, I'm going to smoke weed every day, you're still not learning how to cape with reality and your emotions and get to know your true self, right. which is what recovery is all about. So you're putting a Band-Aid on something instead of fixing yeah, you it. you just said the word. You're, you're numbing it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
It's a false recovery. And now because society has made it completely acceptable, people think it's completely acceptable, but you're not healing yourself. Right. Same thing with methadone and suboxone and all these other mat drugs. They're they're better than heroin. Mm -hmm. You're not out stealing and robbing people to get high every day. You're not risking shooting fentanyl. But you're you're clean. You're living a better life, but you're not living your best life. Mm. Your best life is tapping into what made you use drugs and alcohol in the first place and really actually recovering. Wow. Well, I appreciate what he said about the benzos. I'm, benzos are prescription drugs, and some prescription drugs are equally as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than some of the street drugs because mm-hmm. they're highly addictive and they lead to other things. And Actually, okay, you talked about the alcohol. How is it that you got into the drugs, though? For, for me... And and the lifestyle that I wanted and mm-hmm. the um the group that I ran with, it was a natural progression. I mean it could it was easily predictable. Um I started out because I personally wanted to be this uh tough guy, gangster, money making you know, whatever that I started selling drugs. That was Scarface. my thing. Yeah. My friend <laughs> my friend smoked weed, I wanted to be the dealer. Right. right? But of course, it was in front of me all the time, so I experimented with it. And, I, you know, it started with stuff. You know, I experimented with the weed. I didn't like it. I experimented with the hallucin- hallucinogens. I didn't like them because they freaked me out because I'm too stuck in my own mind that I for- I had bad trips and all that while everybody else had fun on them. <laughs> and then um, it was a long time of just drinking and selling cocaine for me until I finally... I was infatuated with women, older women, and I met one that had a that a, had a heroin habit. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, was anti heroin at first. You guys are just junkies. Blah, blah, blah. I was a drug. I wanted to be a big shot, and I talked down about junkies until fine. And and the alcohol led me to be homeless. And the alcohol led me to lose everything I had. And the alcohol destroyed my life. So I was in a place of low self esteem, and I snuck and I tried the heroin. And the heroin didn't make me somebody else like the alcohol did what the heroin did was just numb everything there's no more depression there's no more anxiety there's no more emotional pain there's no more physical pain there just is right like what like what zen buddhists or whatever try to reach just a state of being that's what heroin is wow it's the simplest form of existence there's no more worrying about student loans or worrying about finances or worrying about you just are and so that's appealing to you know to the adverse um to to the opposite effect of being stressed out about everything that, yeah. that life in America brings to you it's an easy way to kill all that you don't think and then when anything. and then when you come off of the heroin the feelings come rushing back just like alcohol when you come off of the alcohol so then you have to numb it all down again with more heroin and next thing you know i didn't i was i was getting high before getting high on heroin was trendy i say that all the time right. because now everybody yeah. it's all over the place and prescription pills there were no oxycontins there were no percocet 30s in the 90s if they were you never heard about them mm-hmm. there was no suboxone in the 90s when i got high there was it was just a straight jump to heroin so only yeah. the bad kids yeah used heroin back then mm-hmm. now everybody gets caught up in the cycle mm-hmm. 
like the same <laughs> stigma with bikers. Remember when you used to be a biker, you used to be a badass. Yeah. You know, it used to be you were the the criminals, uh, and now tattoos. Now, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. tattoos. Now it was now everybody's a motorcycle enthusiast, yeah. and it's cool to be. Now everybody wants to own a Harley, or it's amazing how those things shift. Yeah. Now you from see being, police and office office yeah, workers with tattoos just, on their neck and stuff. So it actually like, was know. cool to do heroin. It was cool to do. I mean, the things that become cool that used to be criminal, or it's just a strange metamorphosis what where i was going was i i did not know this sounds crazy but i did not know that you could become physically dependent on heroin when i first started doing it would that have stopped me probably no everybody around me was doing it and i wanted you know what i mean but i didn't know so like three or four days in my legs were cramping and kicking and i was freaking out my mind was going crazy and they were like oh you're sick you're you're illing i said what's that mean you're you're sick You, you need heroin well, give me more. <laughs> you know, like, uh, it, it's, I didn't know. How did it save your life, though? So, as I explained in the book, the alcohol and the ego and this image that I was chasing, I buried every single part of me that was natural to me. This empathetic, young, loving, caring, kind kid that loved nature and poetry and all this stuff i buried all that because i didn't think there there was a use for that in this world well, I, what i thought there was a use for was a guy that knew how to chase money and women and be tough and beat people up and i went out drinking and the drinking with jekyll and hyde it was classic yeah. jekyll and hyde syndrome i was a complete opposite person when i got drunk and i wanted to be that opposite person so i stayed drunk all the time um mm-hmm. And I would beat people half to death, innocent people. I would rob people. We, we did disgusting things in the name of wanting to be a gangster and wanting to be a tough guy and a thug. And there were things I could have done large jail sentences for that I didn't get caught for. And had I kept doing what I was doing, I would have either died in a car wreck, I would have killed somebody driving drunk, I would have beat somebody half to death, I would have shot somebody, I would have been shot. I mean, there were instances in the book where any yeah. one of those things could have happened. And um, I had no no sympathy or empathy as a, as a drunk. Was, for, do you for, think it was hard for your parents to love you during that? Were they aware? I mean, where, where were they? Your, they they knew fully what I was up to, and they were very much tough love with me, and they had to be because they had two younger siblings to look out for who were not on the road that I was on. So they kind of um, cut you loose to a degree yeah. as far as like, hey, you're going to be out here making these choices. This is, you know. Yeah. So, so I'm, empath- I, I'm, I'm an empath, so I love everybody. So I understand how to love somebody from a I distance just, and not. Yeah. So I know that I, I don't ever question their love for me. Mm-hmm. Do you have children? No, no. So you were somebody's child, right? Yeah. And then, so where is your relationship with them now? Um, or after, post, you know, I oh, don't know. Oh, it's wonderful far. now. Okay. Yeah. Do, do they ever talk to you about it? Do you have these, I mean, obviously you're out there, you know, taking your personal experience and turning it into something positive and helping other people mm-hmm. and being the true person that you were, that you were trying to mask all those those years. But how do you, I mean, what what has come of this for you with your... Um, connection to your siblings and your family as far as so I have a, I have a younger brother and a younger sister um, throughout active addiction I stole from almost all of them mm-hmm. my brother was too young to have anything worth stealing <laughs> at the time so I pretty much was thrown out of the house when I was 18 best thing they could have done for me best thing they could have done for their family 
tough love saved my life. That's my mm -hmm. story. Yeah. Um, yeah, it could have killed me, but it didn't. Mm -hmm. It was I was thrown in the water and it was either sink or swim, and I sank for a while and I gasped for air and went down and went back and then finally learned how to swim. And I'm one of the lucky ones that survived. I, I but. If it wasn't for that tough love, I may have never been humbled enough mm -hmm. yeah. to, to get clean and to be where I am now. Um, they, I, I know they love me, and they tried to help me whenever I wanted help. They shut the door on me 90% right. uh, of the time because 90% of the time I was full of crap. Um, mm -hmm. Parents are smart like that. Well, it's, yeah. it, and that's one of the things that blows me away in the book because you talk about your family a lot. Yeah. And... The without you know giving everything away, but the one time when you went to court, yeah, and you saw your father there, you had no idea he was coming, and what he said to the judge, and I'm like, wow, yeah, but it just, oh yeah, it's definitely tough love, but you know the love was there, or yeah, it's, yeah it still is. It, well, they wanted the best for me, yeah, and they wanted the best for their own peace of mind, you know, right. I mean? like in that instance, it's better for me to be in jail. Than yeah. on the streets oh, because they know I'm way. alive in jail. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm sure every parent can identify with that. Absolutely. So fast forward to after recovery. Of course, there's a lack of trust for a while. Mm -hmm. And that's necessary and that's expected. Now, what kills me is a lot of these a lot of these people I talk to, they get clean and they expect their family to trust them right away and they get frustrated. I mean, you've lied to them for, for years and years and years, right. lied straight to their face and stolen everything, and then all of a sudden they're supposed to trust you, and if they don't, then you hate them. And, you know, I, it, it's frustrating. But anyways, my, it, I knew I, I was to a point where I knew I was wise enough to know that I had to earn trust back, and it was going to take a long time to really prove myself. I mean, years, actually, because... I had done damage for years, so it would take that long to earn the trust back. But I forged a relationship with everybody in my family. We have, we have great relationships now. I mean, there were times where I was able to financially help them and employ them. I mean, my mother still gets paid to do the books for my business. And, you know, it's been a blessing to be able to be there for them in their rough right. times like they were there for me in my rough times. And my, my brother and sister, I have good relationships with them as well. Um, well, that's interesting, though. The key, I mean, having never been an addict, I'm curious to know what you think the key is to maintaining sobriety. Because when I think back and I and I hear this, I was blessed enough for my son to have some clean time. Um, and unlike what you were just describing, well, yeah, it did take a while to trust him, but I fell back into too much complacency. Once a certain period of time had passed, I went back to having a normal life. And that was all the past and that chapter was closed and I didn't even consider there was still a vulnerability there as far as him, you know, not remaining sober because from my perspective he had everything to live for. He had a job now, he had his girlfriend back, he had a child and when it when the call came it came as a complete sucker punch and shock because what do you mean? I thought we were out of the woods. So um, I still feel like and this is just one of those things thrown it way out there as far as uh, but like Chris Cornell, who was one of my absolute favorite musicians of all time, I just truly believe that his prior addiction and his um, medication and those kinds of things parlayed into the suicide. Somehow it was connected to his, his, his addiction. Um, but with that being said, I mean, any advice or, or thoughts um, as far as people that are in recovery, early in their recovery, but past what would be considered the danger zone, and then I, I hear it. I hear it. I'm in a lot of groups. One called Not in Vain. It's all mothers mm -hmm. that have lost <clears throat> children. 
Um, and one of the th commonalities or the threads that I find m most disturbing to me is how many of our children got clean for a pretty significant period of time, not weeks or days. It's like quitting smoking. You think by the third year you're out of there. You know, you, people still do go back, but I'm surprised at how many people went back and boom. And even though I know that, oh, you can't handle as much as you used to, a lot of it was really fentanyl. Um, there's more fentanyl poisoning now than there is overdosing off of sheer volume of, of drugs. But I mean, what's your, what's your take on that? Because you've been, how long have you been recovered? Okay, so I've been doing the recovery thing for 18 years. That's a now, okay. now, my clean date is May 21st, 2011. Ah, see. So here's what happens. Oh. I get clean for four years in 2000. In 2004, I go get my wisdom teeth pulled. I really? tell the doctor, I'm an addict. Don't give me anything. He insists. No, I'm an addict. Don't give me anything. We argued. Me and my girlfriend at the time were, were talking. He's like, I'm telling you, I'm get, you're getting all four teeth pulled. You need something. So I, so I, wow. I said three yeah, days. Give me three days worth of Percocets. He put. They put me under with. I think Valium at the time. They put me under. I woke up. The first thing I said after four years clean, I woke up high as a kite and told mm -hmm. my girlfriend, Take me downtown. I want a cop. Mm -hmm. I want to get heroin. Of course, we didn't go downtown. I, so, I right. like sobered up from the Valium high or whatever and had a clear head. The doctor had given me two weeks of, of Percocets with a two-week refill. Oh. I ate them all in five days. I went downtown and shot heroin for two weeks. Jeez. I got the seeds of recovery were planted, so I got clean. I, I got my stuff together and got clean, and I stayed clean. All the way to 2011, I have... A Cadillac Escalade. I'm making six figures a year. I have my own house. I have all this stuff that I never in the world thought I would have. I'm going, I'm traveling by myself. I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm newly single. I'm on top of the world. I got this business that's booming at the time. So I'm going out on dates and I think I can drink. Because every date I go out, every time I'm going out, I'm, I'm dating. So every girl has a glass of wine with their right. dinner. So I'm like, you know what? It's been 13, at that point it had been 13 years since I drank. Because I, wow. I stopped drinking way before I stopped using heroin. So I said, I, I, I can drink, it's totally fine. Even though I've been down that road in the past and I knew that alcohol eventually led me back to heroin and was worse than heroin. Right. I, I, it's been 13 years, I got control, I got control of my life. So I had a glass of wine and in two weeks I was locked up in jail <laughs> for beating somebody half to death in a drunken blackout. Damn. So, <laughs> So in the in the past sixty in the past eighteen <laughs> years I've gotten high for two weeks and drank for two weeks, but um so technically I like to be I'm very careful when I say that because my clean date is May twenty first two thousand eleven but I've been doing the recovery for eighteen years. I'm blown away that the doctor just kept insisting yeah to give you something even after you told him you were not that's a thing now yeah yeah that's now. A, yeah, that's a thing now where they're trying to make uh, they're, they're, they, meaning the general public, whoever, are out there saying you need to be cognizant of how many addicts because it's happened too many times that it is from a simple procedure. Somebody gets in an accident, needs painkillers, that these doctors need to be more responsible in the questions that they ask up front, yeah. which is why I mentioned Chris Cornell because he mm -hmm. had had like 15 years clean from drugs and alcohol and they put him on something and then, bam, he's like, commit suicide in two weeks to me and again this is just saying that has the signs and signals all over it that that's somebody whose whose sobriety was then jeopardized didn't want to go back through hell as some of these people have come from not to say that that's actually it happened but it could have been you know yeah. um and it, it speaks to exactly what he's saying where i think 
uh, you know, I hear it all the time. I remember one of the things that I play back in my head is I remember how many times I said to myself, how did I get so lucky? I can't believe my kid, he was crazy. My, my son sounds so much like you, yeah. you know, in so many regards. And I was like, wow, how did, how did I get hearing about all these people that had died? I, how did I get so lucky? How did my, he's a crazy, this one. You know, mm-hmm. he was in so much trouble. I was in court, you know, I'd take him to school in one door out the other. He was just a handful. And I was like, wow, look at this. And I got complacent. And I, I just, you know, 18 years, yeah, okay? But even at two or three years, and I hear these parents saying to me, oh, I'm so glad. Well, mine's, and, I, and I'm here, I'm, I see this footprint of, oh, they think they're out of the woods. And, and a piece of me just kind of deflates inside going, God, I hope so. I pray for you. Yes, please, but don't be me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You walk around with that, you know, please stay on guard. If something looks, you know, get involved. If, if it Because I do think you could, there is a, it's almost like that drop it on the floor five second rule. Yeah. There is a period of time that you can almost catch, you know, if you lapse and get yeah. back quick enough yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's easier or, you know, so look for those things because I did learn um, when, when I got the call that Chris had passed, it was a sucker punch to me. But now with Jazz living with us and other things and I had heard this would have been going on for about a month and it went the slippery slope really quick. But he was saying she knew that he had slipped, and he was like, "I can get back. I can." It just didn't happen, you know, like yeah, kind of yeah. like fast enough. So you you can't ever really give up. On you, you need to be. Yeah, not that I didn't trust him anymore, because I did, and not that you know those kinds yeah. of things. But you almost have to always keep that slightly in your back pocket to to not ever think everything's come. A broken person is never whole. They might be glued back together, but those scars and those breaks are still there. They might be healed, mm-hmm. but they're still vulnerable to certain things. And you can never forget, once an addict, always an addict. Right. You know? So how, how, I mean, you've raised a good, uh, very good point and lots of questions around. What, uh, what is there uh, for recovering addicts, you know, whether it's a dentist or you get in an accident or some other uh, instance where typically you would be given what are, are usually addictive or potentially addictive uh, drugs. I mean, are there alternatives to a painkiller to get a wisdom tooth pulled? Probably not. I mean, it's kind of a... I'm much. Have your nerves cut. I am, ter- yeah. I am terrified of having to go get, like, very serious work done. Yeah. Because yeah. what do I do? In, in the programs of, like, Narcotics Anonymous and stuff like that... What I what I hear suggested is that you only take it if you absolutely have to, and you take it under the supervision of a sponsor or a mentor or somebody that can really hold you accountable. And I've seen it done successfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, what it, what it, they have they have certain they have a few drugs um, that aren't narcotic that they give now. I, in fact, I went and got my appendix removed last year, mm-hmm. and. This is God, right? I'm, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about God on no, this. No, yeah. I went and got my appendix removed. It, it wasn't a planned thing. I, in the middle of the night, my stomach just started killing me, and I woke up in a cold sweat, feeling like I was dying, rushed into patient first. They said, no, you're too sick for us to go across the street to the emergency room. I went in there. I passed out. I woke up in a, in a um, CT scan or whatever, and then the doctor said, you need to get your appendix removed. We're taking you to surgery in two hours. And I'm like, what's the alternative? He's like, they're getting ready to rupture. You leave it in, and you die. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to Costa Rica in a week, so I just want to make sure I get on this flight. Otherwise, do what you got to do. 
Wow. And I got a picture in my phone of seven-day difference of me in a hospital bed and me in a waterfall in Costa Rica. I love to show it to people. <laughs> because that, but, but I, went, I went and got my appendix removed, and I'm Googling, and, and all this stuff is saying how painful it is, and it's, it's the equivalent of a woman giving childbirth, and all, this, all, these, all these resources say how painful it is. I didn't take one pain medication. I didn't feel one ounce of pain. And I've had a couple different instances in my life in recovery. Mm-hmm where I haven't felt any pain and I haven't needed to take any pain medication. Now, that's not going to be everybody's story. Right. To me, that's like that's a God thing. Like I wasn't ready for the pain medication experiment, and he spared me from having to go down that road at the right. time because he had bigger plans for me. But it's terrifying. It's terrifying to somebody in recovery. Mm-hmm. And that's going to take me mm-hmm. back to what you were talking about because you asked me a few questions that I didn't get a chance to answer, and I could talk for hours yeah. about a lot of things you said. Almost every. 90% of the people that I go to viewings for or that I know that relapse and die, I mean, that, that die, mm-hmm. are because of a relapse. They yeah. all they either yes. get out of prison oh or they were clean for a couple of years, they go back. Obviously, their body doesn't have the same tolerance as right. when they left off, but they mm-hmm. go back and they shoot a pill thinking they can shoot a pill and their tolerance isn't the way it was and they yeah. pass away it's almost always nine times out of ten after a, a, a stint of sobriety and um and uh, the other thing is the fentanyl the fentanyl wasn't out in the yeah. 90s when i was getting high my first year getting high i lost 18 people it was just yeah. the death toll was just like it is and that now. Was at the, without the fentanyl right the wow. death toll was just like it is now but that's because it was raw heroin and that's uh-huh. that's when the suburb you know I talk yeah. about all this in the book that's when the suburbs started using heroin and they gained national spotlight because it was a raw form right. of heroin yeah. that you could sniff you didn't have to shoot which was the easier gateway to using the drug which eventually led to people shooting it but it was it was closing up people's lungs mm-hmm. the raw oh. heroin was oh yeah, yeah. That's 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 one of the things that Good gets me grief. in the book because he's I mean he talks about that and yeah. the, the one uh, was having problems breathing and everything yeah, scary and, to me. and uh, what you were doing for people that were I guess ODing with the ice water and yeah. all I mean just some of the stuff that I, I'm a lot of people don't know that fentanyl was around in the nineties too yeah it was called China White oh is that what oh, you, really? oh I've heard that term yeah. yep. Maybe the I'm famous China White that killed a lot of people. Okay, yeah. is that what that was? Did not know. <sighs> but but God. it wasn't like it wasn't pharmaceutically you know, available like it is now. Yeah. It made a brief appearance. A lot of people that are alive have overdosed and just re, just not, came back from it. Um, yeah. There's not everybody that overdoses overdose dies. I know that no. that with my son, the first time he OD'd, I got a call at midnight with my ex telling me he was dead in the backyard, and then it's like, oh wait a minute, there's a paramedic working on him. And, you know, I remember talking to him on the phone from the hospital. They rushed him to Bayview because he's from the Dundalk area. And um, I remember getting a call from him and him crying. And he was not a crier. You know what I mean? He was a tough guy. He was crying at how scared he was. He was, I can't believe it. He didn't, he was, he was not going to die. Could happen to anybody else as much as around. It wasn't him. And um, three hours later, checked himself out of the hospital. So it's amazing how quick that fear and that, that normal kind of like, oh my God, goes to back as soon as the ill illin or as soon as the sickness or whatever it mm-hmm. starts you know because it's toxic it's just like you she's telling the story um, yeah, I, yeah and i'm gonna gather just... that there's so much similarity <laughs> yeah. I, i'm gonna say that most of these stories there's a bit of a tapestry oh yeah while the circumstances might be different or the causes or this so much of it is the same you know and, wow. and it probably is even the same addiction of any kind 
it is the mind, you know, playing tricks on you need this, this, this helps you this. And maybe it's that that grasping that bit of what you think of is sanity that is really insanity. Um, you know, so there's got to be a whole like you said, a whole book on the how the sickness of your mind, how much that changed from from being an active addiction to active recovery because and that's where the 12 step program which I totally yeah. like I said I think everybody should go through it regardless that's, because it's yeah. a it is a it is a step it, it is a program for your soul it is a program that teaches you that we're all flawed and it's okay sometimes I think there's the ignorance that walks around outside of us is worse where mm -hmm. people feel they're 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 better than or they're yeah I, I find a person that is completely lacks any bit of humility or being humble to be much more dangerous oh, yeah. than someone that is you know completely accepts their brokenness and their you know empaths and that kind of thing so i don't it's funny as especially now i have no patience for an arrogant person yeah. very, <laughs> you know i just don't very few people actually know their self and the best thing you can ever do in this world is to get to know yourself it's the most enlightening thing but very few people really do and that's what the 12 steps is about yeah, is getting down to really know who you are and why you do the things you do most people just go through life with blinders on and have no clue who they are or why they do what they do. It's, a, it's about accountability, and yeah. that's one of the things that scares me about the way we are, the country is right now. Um, as we continue to accept everything, the whole trophies for everybody and the whole, this, the mentality that's out there is not productive for real life. Because in real life there are bad, sad, you know, I oh, I wish I have to start writing this down, but it is the struggle that is what life is. Mm -hmm. You know, this thing of being happy, nobody promised anybody happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of what comes from inside of you. And so you're chasing, if you're chasing it externally with women or money or, or pride or ego, um, what you're getting is a shallow bag of tricks, smoke and mirrors. You know, that happiness comes from surviving things, uh, accountability, um, you know, all of what I even believe in, like the karma. If you if you sit down, pe most people have a misconception of what karma is, but if you, the true definition of karma, if we lived a world in which we were governed by the thought process of what karma is, we'd live a better world because karma is not punishment. Karma is balance. It is about balancing the nature of everything and being equalized. Mm -hmm. And so if you come into this world and say, hey, your life path, your lesson was not just to survive all this, but then what do you do with it? And going back into my article about my, my polymer clay article, which is on the opioid mm -hmm. um, open hearts project for opioid awareness, has to do with giving it a way to keep it. Because that's what it is. Um, you know, um, if, if we aren't giving pieces of ourselves away, the, the, the parts that we need maybe the most to other people, we're really not living our best life, I don't think. So I applaud Absolutely. addicts. I, I'm a big <laughs> fan of addicts. I love, not, not, not that I want to hang out with current uh, you know, active addiction, but some of my favorite people to talk to, um, best rounded, um, you know, are, are people that have been homeless are people that have been um, addicts, or people that have lived in the worst uh, situations have come up from that because they're the people that are helping people. They're actually in the service of others. We have which to. You to ha stay yeah. clean. We have to. Yeah, you have to yeah. be in the service you of others. to survive that way. Yeah. You talk, um, at, at, at one point, or, or at one point, um, when you, you said you dealt a lot when you were very young. Mm -hmm. At what point um, did or did it um, 
the uh, the reality or even the thought of being caught in prison uh, for long periods of time did that uh, at what point did that hit you as uh, as maybe something that says maybe I'm, I'm just not uh, doing the right thing here um, or did it even never 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 as, as we spoke I think before the um, microphone turned on about how um, as as children as young people we're just like immune to the idea of death it can happen all around mm-hmm. us and we don't even like tune into the idea that it could happen to us or care the same thing with prison the same thing with any types of consequences yeah it's like we're the toughest people in the world. We do what we want. And then when the handcuffs land on us, then we cry and yeah. bawl and we're victims. And then as soon as they come off, we go right back to the same behavior. It's just, a, it's a younger men, it's an immature mentality. And it's just, I don't know how to get that to sink into people's heads because we can go around to schools and we can go around and talk to young people till we're blue in the face about the consequences of crime and the consequences of addiction, but it never seems to sink in. It no. definitely didn't sink into me. They did scared yeah. straight programs when I when I was I young. That. Yeah. When I was 14, 15, and I got caught dealing drugs. I mean, they, they brought me into the prisons, and they had the guys climbing on the bar saying, we're going to rape you if you come in here, and right, all this kind right. of stuff, trying to scare us. and. We just laughed. We thought it was funny. They yeah. took us to shock trauma and showed us shock trauma victims. That didn't stop us from drunk driving. That didn't stop. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a. It's not going to happen to me. Yeah. yeah it's, what do they say about right. the like young males? Their frontal lobe doesn't mature until they're like in their twenties. I, I mean, it, it's some. There's something in the brain that doesn't click until you hit a certain age. Like you just don't think that any, or you don't care that these things will happen to yeah. you. I definitely did some things. I don't know if you read the book. I know you did. I did some things that could have landed me 50-year sentences in prison. And had I gotten locked up for those things, I would have cried like a little baby. And I would have been the big, biggest victim in the world. But I still did them. Like, yeah. it's just... Just didn't register. Yeah. yeah. I used when I was younger. And right. I think one of the things that stopped me, at least for a while, was when my best friend got killed. And this is got back in 86 in Ocean City. And he was at a party and this girl kept falling down. He kept helping her up. Well, the boyfriend got mad and I think the boyfriend was all cooked up or something. Mm-hmm. So my buddy left. Figure, you know, I'll, I just want to avoid everything. He's walking, was it Coastal Highway, I guess it is? Yeah, yeah. Walking down Coastal Highway, well, the guy decided, well, we're going to go find him. Found him, shot him in the head. And when I, I was actually DJing at our nightclub when I got the news, his two brothers came in and told me. And it, it just floored me. And I mean, I, all the times that I DJ in public, this is the only time where I actually grabbed the microphone and I stopped. And I mean, I'm bawling. And I just told everybody what happened. I said, you know what? If you have somebody here now that's close to you, tell them you love them because you may never get the chance again. And that is what made me stop for a while. Yeah. Unfortunately, I stayed in the club scene and that, right. you know. But then again, what happened again was another death family member. And, right. you know, that's just, it, it's it's weird. People are different. Everybody's different, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you mentioned the, the, the marijuana freaked you out. Um, it did the same thing to me. I, I I think in my life four times I tried it and it was never more than a couple of hits. Yeah. It had such a, a an adverse effect on me it, and, and I became paranoid. Yeah. 
Um, and and I said, no, this I can't do it. I don't even I don't even like taking pills. It today. would literally but, give me a full blown anxiety attack. Yeah. Everybody else is chilled out, eating and relaxed, and I'm in the bathroom hiding out because I feel like my heart's blowing yeah. out of my chest. Exactly. And that's that's what turned me <laughs> off to it. Um, I wouldn't even too, want to try it now because I understand yeah. they're even doing putting fentanyl on that. Yeah, I think I think it's far. You know, you know, a rare occurrence like that happens, and then it ends up in the news, and everybody gets paranoid. I don't think anybody's. I hope they're not. Yeah, <laughs> it just it serves no purpose. It yeah. might have happened one or two times, but I, I there's no re, there's no reason in my mind why anybody would put fentanyl and marijuana as a dealer or anything unless they were trying to kill somebody. I mean, it's just yeah, mm-hmm. and dealers don't want to kill their clients. It yeah, happens. They lose but, business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. All right, so all right in your book, of course, I haven't finished it yet. I think I finished. I got through the chapter about the church when, you, when your mother. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I haven't gotten to to where you, I guess, stopped. I mean, what made you finally realize? This is the toughest question that anybody asks me, and if I had a clear cut answer to this, okay, then I'd be around the world saving everybody in the world. Um, I could tell you how to stay clean. I I can I can you know, give you all the advice in the world. I, I think it's one part maturity, one okay. part God, which a lot of people don't like to hear if they're not in the church and all that. They, that it, sound, it almost feels like a cop-out to say that. Um, perception change, hitting rock bottom. There's all these little pieces that all go together. And you know you can go you can go to treatment center after treatment center. I I mean, you're well. You haven't even gotten that far, but I've been to quite a few treatment centers, and it didn't. You know, the seeds were planted, the information that I needed to get clean. But I would get out and get high the first day I got out of the treatment center almost every time. Um, It's just a really slow process, and unfortunately with with a drug like fentanyl out there it's not giving people enough chance to, mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. try after try after try um right. but it, but it's a very slow unfolding and unblossoming of the mind that brings you to this point where you know you're ready to get clean and stay clean but i think perception and this is the biggest thing that i've been preaching lately is the victim mentality mm. And taking personal responsibility for everything that happens to you in your life is one of the biggest steps to getting clean. It wasn't until I stopped treating myself as a victim and started taking personal responsibility for every single thing that happened to me that my mind was able to grasp the concept of, of what it took to get clean. Um, was that, you even mentioned that in your book, though, because even when you were, were high or drunk, some of the things you were doing were beating the hell out of somebody or wouldn't uh, snatch a, a woman's purse or whatever, and you just, in your mind... Was that you? Yes. <laughs> you're like, no, this ain't I thought right. I recognized yeah. you. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think it... Well, that one part, I think you told the guy, no, that, that yeah. doesn't doesn't feel... So somewhere back in your mind, you still had a conscience. It's like, no, this ain't this ain't right. I shouldn't be doing this. I always thought it was funny, like, when we first started getting high on heroin, mm-hmm. like, we had little rules. Like, we won't steal from mom and pop stores, only yeah, from right. corporations. Right. We'll go hit the grocery store at a Walmart, but we won't <laughs> steal from the corner store. Yeah. But then next thing you know, you'll steal from your own family. You know, it gets to a point where all that goes out of the window eventually, but yeah. I mean, everybody has... I, I like to think that everybody has morals except the rare sociopath. Uh, yeah, yeah it, with the exception of those serial killers, I think right. everybody has a conscience. It's what you do mm-hmm. to suppress that conscience that takes you down the roads mm-hmm. that it takes you. Some people, 
uh, I think are born with the desire where their fulfillment in, in service is all good. Maybe they've matured or evolved to a level that they don't have to go to those dark places. But I think everybody's been there. Right. You know, for me, it's a soul thing. I mean, you talk about God, um, but and and when rock bottom, that, that goes across the board for anything. I can remember with the loss of my mom, um, you know, it took me three years to get out of the grief. Like what people will ask me, how do you, that's the question I always get. How am I able to live? How was I able to move on after my son when so many of these parents are stuck in like their wheels spinning, they can't get out of this place? It isn't one thing. It isn't a light bulb moment. It isn't no. a, it's a process. And it, one day that process clicks. It's like flicking on the switch where all of a sudden everything lines up perfectly in the universe for you to take that next step and it makes a difference where every other time it was a step backward. So that mindset, you're in the right place, the right time, and then you capitalize on it because if you walk down that spiritual road of when things happen, you know, this is where free will becomes a part of that process. And I think that there are many opportunities for us in life to step onto that path, but we make the decision when to do it. And it is the perfect alignment of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. When do you get over heartache? When you're tired of being depressed? When do you get over being an active junkie? When you just can't, you have more, when, when did I quit smoking? I quit smoking when the desire to breathe was greater than my desire to smoke. And it's all about that. And it's the culmination of all of those things and all of those experiences at one yeah. time where that light bulb goes off and you go, you know what? That fork in the road, I'm gonna go this way this time. Now that fork shows up many times over. It, it doesn't go away just because you stepped on the right path. And, yeah. and I often say that in the process of graduating, everything life is a graduation. When I see people, like it happened with me in a relationship. When, you, when are you ready for the right person? I think you're ready for the right person when, when you change. You know, like, I was a person for the longest time that kept picking guys like you. Oh, yeah. You know, my first husband was a guy like you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was like, finally, you know, on husband, you know, I had two husbands and I had a, and I really, another failed relationship. And I was like, Teresa, you're a good person. Why, why did these things keep happening to you? And it was the moment that when I accepted responsibility and said, you know what, maybe it isn't everybody else. There's something wrong in me. There's something I'm not addressing. And when I made the change and went, you know what, I'm going to love like I've never been hurt before. I'm going to be that vulnerable person. But with a difference, I'm going to set boundaries. And I'm not crossing those boundaries for anybody. And the point isn't what. That's that way with everything in life, no matter what the situation is. When you make a conscientious decision to say no more or no less, that's when we start challenging ourselves to live that, that yeah. perfect life. And I look at my life today, and we all have a past. We all have stuff behind us, whether it's marriages or, you know, and, and we do these things to ourselves. And when do you really take off? When do you really take off in the right direction? Is a moment when all those things, personal accountability, not being a victim, taking responsibility, wanting more for yourself, and whatever it is. You know, I look at where I am now and I go, whoa, you know, it's easier. It's easier not to be successful. It, it is. It's much easier. Mm -hmm. Being successful is a matter of taking taking all those things. And the responsibility sucks. Yep. You know, but when you accept it, it's like the universe. It's like the parting of the seas where these things start opening up for you. And right now I'm challenged in my own personal life where I'm seeing, I believe in seeing like the, the number sequences. All of a sudden for the first time in my whole life, I'm going to be, I'm 52 years old. 
and it's like I'm seeing 1111 and here I am on this path of having this store and I've been trying to write a book for I had somebody tell me I was gonna write a book for years and years why I did the same thing I've written a couple chapters I give up on it I do this but everybody has a story to tell when you're ready to tell it and not a moment too soon and it all came through I used to write poetry too yeah. some of the best poetry I ever wrote came through me in like 20 minutes mm -hmm. I wasn't even trying I was just sitting there and just like oh I better oh, write yeah. this down yeah. when you try to do something it's almost like when that your own portal opens and the best div divine kind of things come through you it's just really amazing so I've and accepted my life as the mother has lost a son and said I'm not staying down here in this grief. I'm going to take that out to every mom or every person or everybody I can help to try to help elevate them to right. a point where their life is healing and they're accepting. This was my journey for a reason. I'm not cursed. I'm not cursed. I'm blessed. Accept those blessings and things happen, right? When you talk, you go here, 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 and I have like 15 things I want to oh, say. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's great. You gotta I live like, it here, we could, we, could, we, could talk, we could talk for like 20 hours yeah, here. Absolutely. We could have lo the longest podcast of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> squirrel. Yeah. In the Greek language, there's two words for time, chronos and kairos. And chronos is regular chronological time. That's okay. where the word chronological comes from. That We live and function by every day. And kairos is that exact moment in time where you either catch a wave or you get swept in by it. It is the exact moment in time where things line up. That's my, my real estate investment company. I call it Kairos Properties. I used to call okay. myself kairos. Yeah, yeah. I had a little nickname when I, when <laughs> yeah. I used to do like hip-hop and stuff. But um, I have a Swedish word right now I'll share with you, but go ahead. But that, but that is, it's like, it's like the crux where everything lines up yeah. and you, yeah. and, and, and in, in recovery as an addict, like you, 99.999% of people that are shooting heroin or addicted to heroin crack or whatever it is, do not want to be doing that. They don't, right. nobody wants yeah. to be doing nobody that, Nobody wants to be addicted. but they just drugs. can't find the way out. But things line themselves up on mm -hmm. occasion. They really do. Mm -hmm. And you either grab a hold of that with everything you have, and you and you take advantage of it. Enjoy the ride, or you let it pass you by, and you pray you're still alive well, you when the next time comes around. You do it for a while, and you find it hard to maintain, and you go back. I mean, you know, there's. But my new word right now is mangata. I love it, and it's Swedish, and it it, it is the the word that they use to describe. Um, the moonbeams <laughs> on the ocean at night. I just love these words that mean a, a vision yeah. that where they paint a picture instead of. So the the ladies I'm painting, my yeah. new my new paintings are, are I call them my Mangata maidens because they represent this you know kind of this uh, mythical you know moreover type of thing. That's an artist type of a thing. You know, those things are awesome. Though. Thank they, you. I know. Wait, just wait. Wait till I'm not painting with kids watercolor set. You're still using the watercolors? Yeah, because I don't want to invest in the, um, and it's driving me nuts. I, I don't want to invest in the high-end materials because I feel like as soon as I do that, then I'm going to put the business on hold and I'm focused on the artistic right. gallery. And there's I, there's so much I want to do that I, you know, it's, it's finding a place for each and the timing on all of those things, which is really, you know. Another, <laughs> another important thing that you touched on that I wanted to say was rock bottom. Mm. There is no such thing as rock bottom. I go I go over this in my book a couple mm -hmm. of times. That's a generic term, and I use it because I'm conditioned to use yes, it because I've yes, heard it so many times. But when I say rock bottom, I mean get to a point of pain where you yeah. want to change, right. right? Because rock bottom is infinite, and that's exactly what sure. I say in the book too. 
I've, I've broken through every rock bottom I've ever had. And if I go out and use tomorrow, which is a possibility, I will break through every rock bottom I ever hit. Right. There's a lot of things that other people have done for drugs that I have not done for drugs. I haven't slept with other men. I haven't, uh, I haven't killed There's time. any. Just I kidding. Have, <laughs> I have, well, there is time. If I, if I go out and shoot exactly. heroin, I'm, I might no, kill somebody. No. I haven't done that. I might, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things that I might do that I've never done. And, and the fact that I know that that's possible, I'm humble right. enough to admit that I would right. do things right. that I Absolutely. don't want to admit. That's part of what keeps me clean because the scary thing is, and this is going to touch on something that I wanted to touch on a little while back when you were uh, talking, is the, the, the worst unfair thing about recovery is that I can work day in and day out for 20, 30, 40 years on myself. I can work hard on my recovery. 40 years, one second wrong decision throws all that away it's wow. that's that yeah. way in everything though yeah. the decision to get behind the wheel of a car if you're drinking um the decision to go walk this way i mean there are victims there are there are tragedies that happen mm -hmm. because of a split second decision which goes back to saying some of this is destiny some of this is life is as soon as i read this the other day i was i should write these things down somebody was saying that this made so much sense the moment you think that life is fair you've been fooled mm -hmm. because it isn't nobody said it was supposed to be you don't know what your destiny is or yours or yours all that you are given is that moment of free will to make the decision that is going to take you down that path that could lead you anywhere anywhere so most of the time most of the time i go back to the word karma which i just love that word and not the way people use it i hate the way people use yeah. it but that balancing of that universe is a teacher it is a teaching tool it is not meant to be a punishment tool and we're being taught things that we need things that are trying to make us whole and on that journey i don't know your flaws you don't know I, we, I don't even know my own level of flaws but it's all designed in some capacity to try to make us whole better whatever to be this being of light or love or so until we are completely um love i could we could do a whole podcast on spirituality on new age spirituality not religious spirituality as far as growth mm -hmm. and things like that um you know because believe it or not and when you talk to like mediums and things we were talking about a little bit earlier there are supposedly steps of the human process one of which is all of us would have to be an addict because there's a level of suffering and, and emotional turmoil and things that you go through that only come through that process and so it's almost like every human has to die once by murder everybody has to experience we have to experience all of this to fully understand it so I've always been very cautious about people that judge another person's situation because when I see these people out there these people videotaping um, the the drug addict that's in that what, what is that state uh, called again not now when I see this and I see people making fun of what is a serious troubled broken rather than being helpful or doing the next best thing, there's something in their future at some point that they're going to have to relate to that on a mm -hmm. personal level. Doesn't mean it'll happen to them, but it'll touch their lives in some way to make them understand that situation. And that's what people should fear. Fear yourself. <laughs> because to some degree, you are bringing into your life exactly what your It's that boomerang effect of, you know, so... Um, you know, I'd prefer to walk behind people that have that understanding of every yeah. step as a landmine to some degree. Now, whether you put yourself directly in a minefield or whether, you know, your chances are greater, but the farther away you put yourself from the process, but it's always there. Mm. Always, so. Move forward a minute. I'm getting off the book. Agape Projects. 
Mm -hmm. This is a nonprofit you started, right? Because I, I mean, I'm dying to hear about the Costa Rica trips and all that. So, yeah, how, when, when, and how did it start? And explain exactly what it is. So, when I first got clean, I started. I started from the ground up. I had absolutely nothing, like most addicts when they get clean. I didn't mm -hmm. have anything. Um, I put on an apron and waited tables and I waited tables for five or six years and I and I was stuck I didn't know what I wanted to do if I wanted to go to back to college if I wanted to do this but every career that I looked at had um you know I, I have a criminal record I got four felonies on my record so right. I don't know what I'm going to do I, I started to go to school for chemical dependency counseling and I really wanted to give back and help I was still in early recovery so I wasn't at the point mentally where I'm at now um and and I'm looking and I'm like they make like forty thousand dollars a year. I don't want to. I don't want to make forty thousand dollars a year. I want to make a real. You know what I mean? So I got creative and I started my own businesses. And this is something that I I hate. I hate telling my story, but it's my my story is I started promoting parties and nightclubs while I was clean. And this is highly not recommended for anybody. <laughs> but it just happened to fall in my lap that a guy I knew was promoting parties in nightclubs. I was running around like a male whore, sleeping with females, making up for lost time because six years of me getting high, I didn't have any sex or females or anything. So now I get clean and I'm, a, I'm this playboy. I want to run around. So I had all these different women. So I said, let me try to host this party for you because he wasn't having success. Right. And I called up all those women that I was running around with and I said, bring all your friends. We're, we're at such and such nightclub we're gonna have a party and it was a success hmm. and so he said you know what you're better at it than me why don't you do it so i started doing it and i sat at the front door and i stamped hands and i collected money and i paid the dj and the security at the end of the night and i didn't go inside the club around the alcohol and stuff i removed myself from temptation that's highly not recommended like they, they say in recovery <laughs> if you go to a barber shop long enough you're going to get a haircut right. it's amazing out, that right, you were able to stay yeah. away from so it, i though. did that for several years and i stacked a lot of money and through that i made some connections and i met a guy that had a successful bail bonds company and i said hey I want to try my hand at that. I think I can do it because I had all the passion in the world to mm -hmm. chase financial security at the time. Right. So I built this bail bonds business from the ground up. I hustled at it day and night, round the clock, did everything I could because it was my Kairos. Mm -hmm. It was my mm -hmm. time to catch mm -hmm. the wave or get swept in by it. And I dove into it and I, and I was successful. So I get a house, I get a car. I'm no longer wondering where my next rent check is going to come right. from. I'm not scraping the bottom of the barrel anymore. So now... I'm at a point where I'm extremely grateful that I'm still alive. I'm extremely grateful that God's given me a, an above-average life, so I need to I need to give back. Mm -hmm. Now's my time mm -hmm. to pay it forward. So I start with something small. I went to a yoga class. I remember I went to my first ever yoga class. And yoga, it opens you up not physically but mentally as well. I, I, I left the class, and I was sitting in my car, and I said, I'm going to take 50 children shopping for Christmas whose parents have either died from an overdose or are incarcerated. Wow. Because the children don't have to, shouldn't suffer for the parents' mistakes, you know what I mean? And those children are more likely to come to, to repeat that cycle mm -hmm. if they're mm -hmm. not, if they're treated differently than their peers. So I went and did that. It was a small gesture. I only spent $50 a child, so I took $2,500 of my, or the comp my company's money and took them shopping. The next year I did the same thing, but people on Facebook said, 
I want to sponsor a child. I want to sponsor a child. I never asked for a dollar. People just started throwing money at me to sponsor a child. So over the years, that 50 children grew to 250 children that I was taking every year to Toys R Us. On top of that, then people said, hey, I know such and such is having a problem. Can you help them? I just It just started growing to where right. I'm doing all this stuff. At the same time, on the flip side, I'm passionate about traveling. I would go to Mexico by myself to this town called Tulum to yoga resorts and stuff by myself every year and I would go um I, I was exploring different countries because now I've, I've wow again I'm I'm at that point in time I was making decent money um you could travel now. those days are over bail bonds reform <laughs> put us, but but I was doing very well so I, I was traveling I was living this life that I had missed out on for all these years of addiction I'm making up for lost time but I, I said why not give back and mm-hmm. travel at the same time so I started doing these mission trips. Now I, I think I'm my 15th mission trip in now. I, I've wow. been to um, Peru, Guatemala, Honduras, Haiti, Costa Rica, a lot of different countries doing mission trips. I fell in love with Haiti because it's by far the poorest. Oh, yeah. By far the the, the worst devastation and desolation I've ever seen. Wow. My children make cookies out of dirt to eat and stay full. Half, more than 70% of the country doesn't have access to clean water. They live in filth and trash. I mean, it's... <sighs> It's unbelievable the level of poverty. When people wow. get on, people are like, well, "Why don't you do stuff local?" There's people here that yeah. I've been. I, I do stuff local. Right. They have right. they have free Wi-Fi. They have free smartphones. They have horseback yeah. riding and archery programs for for poor children. They have everything you could yeah. ever imagine. If they don't yeah. tap into it, it's because they don't want to tap into it because of laziness yeah. here. It's unbelievable. But we. Right. But to counteract right. that, we do a ton of stuff in Baltimore City. I do, especially in the colder months. We do coat drives and homeless feedings. And um, I do Christmas at a low-income senior housing. We do Christmas at the Rosedale Homeless Shelter, uh, Eastside Homeless Shelter. Mm-hmm. There, there's a ton of stuff that we do locally. So that all those charity and service acts just grew exponentially, and I became addicted to it like I become addicted to the drug. Yeah. It's my new high. Right. So, um mm-hmm. The, the forming of the nonprofit just eventually was added just to add a level of legitimacy to it. It hasn't really changed anything. It just gave it a name and a 5013C number, mm-hmm. which is the Agape Projects. My, um, my mother and father were looking to retire somewhere outside of the U.S. because they can't afford it here. They can't afford the health care and all that. So they were looking at Mexico and Belize. I said, come check out my home away from home in Costa Rica. Uh, they fell in love with it. My mother now lives in Costa Rica and started an animal oh, rescue really? in Costa Rica. So she um, she started an animal rescue in Costa Rica. Well, a lot of monkeys get shocked walking across the telephone wire, so that's a huge thing that they do is save wow. the monkeys. That's a part of Agape Projects, too. So we have... I went when Texas flooded with a hurricane. Yeah. We loaded up a semi full of donations, took it down there. North Carolina last year did a couple trips back and forth. Uh, Puerto Rico when they got hit by the hurricane, we flew down there. So it's just Damn. <laughs> get in where you fit in. Yeah. I I'm not passionate about any one thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not even. I'm not even only passionate about addiction, even though that's my story. I'm a. Di- I'm passionate about the environment, animals, homeless, everything. So that's we cool. just kind of get in where we fit in. You know, wow. and that that's that's my process of staying clean because it's my gratitude. It's a better high too, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> I shouldn't be here. I should not be here. Everybody around me died. Yeah. It's not fair. So, 
this is my way of showing my appreciation. I, I know that God gave me a purpose. I don't know if it was the book. I don't know if it's the other stuff, but I'm constantly chasing whatever my purpose is because I know that I'm alive for a reason. Right. I shouldn't be. Yeah. Well, it's, it's obvious giving back is the reason. It's just, yeah. you know, it's widespread. But, yeah. I think that's something all people that um, the attitude of gratitude, giving back is, you know, I've always said to people, when you're feeling your lowest, when you're feeling lost, when you're feeling... Um, down help somebody else it fills that bucket up really quick just to you know at your when you have the least to give give the most mm-hmm. it is so rewarding Absolutely. it will change you forever you know it'll it'll be what you that's it you've replaced something ugly with something wonderful and that's and people that find that will continue to do that i know i know some people that are um that's that's the new lifestyle you know you fulfill yourself in that way i don't think you get bored of it either it's one no. of the few things that will hold yeah. your attention. Helping somebody is some, something that never gets old. And I know exactly what you're saying because when Chris died the first year that I raised that money and I gave it to the Helping Up Mission, it was huge for me. And it was huge for me because I was giving back to a place that had helped him. They he are had amazing, it. by they the way. Are. But they're also very well funded. I mean, Chris yeah. Scherer, the, yeah. the director of charity, is on my friends list on Facebook. Yeah. They're wonderful. I applaud and appreciate them. But the following year, I gave to a grassroots project, mm-hmm. Little Faces, that, that does things for the children of of um, those that have been lost in addiction. And and it meant a lot because it, they needed $1,800 mm-hmm. a year to fund them, where my little $7,200, why, yeah, it was something for helping out. And, and trust me, I yeah. did. You know, yeah. you get this money and it's like, man, what I could do with this. And to just, turn it over when when you're not your financial solvency is like okay well i live paycheck to paycheck to just hand it over to somebody else knowing that they have millions and millions of dollars but you do it because it feels good yeah it's and it's purposeful and it's in the service of others and it's at the end of the day when i die when people talk about you your legacy and those kinds of things it, it has it nothing to do with what you did for yourself at all that's not what people remember it's mm-hmm. what you did for things outside of yourself or, or something you didn't have to do or you wanted to do. And that's what I think the whole evolution of, of growth and, and soul and keeps you, you know. And I see, like, when I see people out there that are just day-to-day, you know what I mean? And they're just doing their grind and they're it, – it's the whole thing with neighbors, too. <laughs> I'm serious, like, because everything is about being involved in something outside of yourself. And the whole reason we've – you know, yeah. our country was such a land of opportunity. Look at how that opportunity has been uh, squatted on by people that just take it and use it for themselves. And the the, the guy, um, I'll never remember his name, but I'll never forget who he is, the one that owns that company that took that drug that was needed for people to Martin, live, to Martin make money. It was all greed. Yeah. And yeah. now look yeah. where he is. And you just watch these, these people that, yeah. you know, do more harm than good. It's almost like the yin and yang, you know, the black and white. You've got so many people out there in the service of others, and those are the people that usually have the least. And you've got these people in the service of themselves that have the most. But at the end of the day, when you do, you wonder who's the most fulfilled. And I'm going to say the happiest people are the people that are doing for others. I don't mean to get biblical, but they say the kingdom of heaven is within. Oh, yeah. And it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And so, if the kingdom of heaven is within, oh yeah, you know that's that's why it's more fulfilling to do good deeds and to give your money away and do all that. Um, but I'm not I'm not totally unselfish. So what what I see with the keys to some of the keys to recovery are doing the exact opposite of everything I did in addiction. So I tore my body down in addiction. 
So now I'm in the gym all the time. I mean, I, I love the gym. It, it's my outlet. Um, meant, I tore my brain apart. I killed my brain cells. I do crossword puzzles. I read. I write. Every single thing That's that I... very good. <laughs> every, every single thing that I did opposite. You know, I was selfish. Everything was me, me, me. Give me more, more, more. So now I give, give, give. I do every single aspect of my life. I do the opposite now. Well, taking care huh. of self is paramount. It's first. Yeah. And that's why when I said when I made changes in myself, I, the first thing I did was for self-protection, which is boundaries. Now, boundaries of, of not being taken advantage of because you have to be smart about how you live your life. And there has to be a, a, a point of being selfish. But that selfishness, it's all about intentions and motivation. And that selfishness is designed to help you. You have to be selfish to be able to give because there's, there's nothing left of you. There's nothing for you to right. give away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, And how do you keep filling that well? Well, you give it away to keep it, which is, you know, very much a part of. Um, they need to have programs and things. You know, when you talk about education, um, this country and its assets and all these things that people don't capitalize on. And I went through the same thing where I was like, well, you kind of have the money, and you don't. You know, where yeah. do you where do you put your? Who do you help? And I think there's selfishness in that. Giving is selfish. It, oh, yeah, it is yeah. such a selfish act to some degree because of what you get back out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but that's again. That's why I love the addicts. I'm, I, you know, the recovered ones. Like I said, I hated. I had a love hate relationship with my son. Right. I never stopped loving him, but when he was in active addiction, I couldn't stand him. I yeah. didn't like who he was, but it wasn't him. It was. It was that mask of that person that you know the the bs or the person that was lying to me like i didn't know yeah. you know what i mean it was yeah. so insulting the addicts take it's there and they insult you as they stand before you with their web of lies and you go okay uh you know i have not not my my most favorite material possessions are gone because they were pawned but what i learned from that experience is those things mean nothing I have the memory of those things. It's in here. Everything. Nothing I have I will take with me. Hanging on to something is a a false. He pawned my mom's ring. It was like my favorite most. And that loss, like you said, heroin saved your life. That loss saved me to some degree because it freed me. There's something so freeing. Nothing has ownership of me anymore. When 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 you suffer such a great loss... It gives you a sense of freedom that no one will quite understand. Nothing, nothing holds me, which is really amazing. It's kind of a really powerful, empowering place to be, to some degree, because there's no more, there's no fear anymore. You know, I'm gonna write a book. It's gonna happen. <laughs> it, it might not be I, Costa Rica. I was gonna say, I know you have, I know I, you have the website for it. I so. actually wrote. I actually started a book. I tried. I followed because I wanted to try the traditional ways first just to test myself. <laughs> so I did actually send a book in November to a publisher, but I did it their way because there's, I forget what it's called now, believe it or not, because I just can't retain all that. Um, it's something nonfiction where it's about when you're writing more about your own personal experiences mm-hmm. rather than, uh, you know, there are pe- doctors that write on subject matter and whatever, yeah. but I did submit it to a, um, I did the research on literary agents and who to submit to and all that. I never heard from them, which is fine, yeah. but I wrote the first two chapters. And, um, I have contacts for you. Yeah, and uh, I, yeah, and so, <laughs> but anyway, but it, it's totally a book about. Um, it's part me, but it's part the whole spiritual. It's it's a teaching book. It's a, yeah. it's a balancing about you know. It's it. I started the one yeah. website that you sponsor, Speaking yeah. in Spirit. Right. Speaking in Spirit. That's yeah. it. Right. That part of it. So it's kind of interesting. But have you happen. started on the second book yet? Oh no no. no. I'm trying to figure out um. 
it's hard for me to start on a second book when I'm just now pushing, like I'm out promoting, That's talking about this one all the yeah. time. But um, I do want to get it in the works like right away. So I was just looking at, um, it's funny, I was on online looking at flights yesterday to um, Moab, Utah. What is it called? Crisp, that word again. Kairos. K-A-I-R-O-S. K-A-I-R-O-S. See, I think that second book in your Kairos, they'll... Yeah. They'll, yeah you yeah. can set it up, but it's going to happen when the same... You run, you run, you run, and then you sit and face it. And when the next one, it'll just happen. Chasing a Flawed Son. Sorry. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. The title came because I have seasonal depression. I <laughs> get, I get very depressed when summer ends and fall comes. It's a beautiful season, but um, I go through. I used to get in trouble every year in October. I say in the book it was a running joke with my family. Like, are you going to get locked up before your birthday or not? Because my birthday's on Halloween. Mm -hmm. um, every, and 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 that's why I go away so much in the winter time to these tropical countries because I need like the sun. I chase the sun. It it gives me, and I say in the book it gives me warmth, security, fulfillment. Uh, I feel wonderful in the sun. There was only one other thing in the world that gave me those feelings, and that was heroin. Mm -hmm. And heroin was my flawed son. It burned mm -hmm. me alive. But I'm also the most creative in that period of time, in mm -hmm. October. And the anxiety and depression or something brings out the creativity in me. So it's, that's when I wrote this book, and that's when I want to write... I want to start writing the next one, There's so that's why I'm looking at truth. about being in touch with your lower self that brings out your most creative yeah, self. I it's think like so. that, that way with musicians. The best albums, the best music that's ever written is written in basements and people are poor. And somehow when you reach that the worldly there's a difference between a universal life and a worldly life and the worldly person is the one chasing human things chasing money chasing all the things that give us gratification here versus the universal which is chasing all of the things that give your spirit that feed your soul and your spirit you know which are those things but you're cha you're chasing a flawed son i was raising a flawed son s-o-n you know what i we, mean we, there's we, a yeah there's a uh, we joked with my parents and said they should write a book chasing yeah. a flawed son <laughs> right right son. exactly right <laughs> because it's just but it's but it's perspective and i do think what people want things they're connected to or things that they relate to and one of the things that the heroin the epidemic has done it, it bringing these stories into light is it's bringing us closer together and it almost takes a tragedy i mean look at how we were with 9-11 i don't yeah. think our country was ever as strong or as close tight-knitted as it was then and we then we start going back away from our ourselves and the so it's almost like what used to be um physical epidemics uh plagues and disease that used to knock people off mm -hmm. now what's coming is almost by our own hand yeah. You see, I mean, in the, in the way, and it, it's bringing us back together in the sense that it's opening that dialogue, it's starting that let's be real, and it's almost bringing us to the lowest. We we are afraid as humans to exist in the lower end of who we are, but it is quintessential to becoming who we are. And so, you know, it's almost good to some degree that the ad addiction and these things that are pulling us back down to where we need to be to evolve and grow spiritually as beings. Because there's nothing, there, there's no reward in that person sitting up there in that million dollar home serving himself. There's, that gives to nothing. It speaks yeah. to nothing. He's, he's touching nothing. You know what I'm saying? Now, if in that, that the byproduct of that is that you've created a thousand jobs or you've helped there's mm -hmm. a difference there's such a difference in how those things all come to be and the what you evolution do with that. of the human psyche and soul is apparent 
in everything I see. In spite of the pettiness we see in the media and the squabbles all the time and everything, I'm I'm watching the world like just with this addiction thing. I've had some. I've had the wardens. I've had sheriffs. Uh, judges, all kinds of people reach out to me like, wow, yeah. your book was this, your book was that. Did, in the 90s, yeah. they were not reaching out to Number one, that. they wouldn't have read the damn book. <laughs> they wouldn't true. have wanted yeah. nothing to do with it. Number, I would Paris. get pulled over when I first got clean in the early 2000s. I remember they would ransack my car and all this stuff for no reason. And I'd be like, listen, I'm, a, I'm an addict. I've been clean for five years. And, and I remember cop looking at me saying, you pieces of shit never right. get clean. Right, right. And you know, would say stuff. Now that that mentality is for the most part gone. Like the difference between yeah. when I was getting high in the '90s and the awareness and the empathy, uh, the sympathy and or empathy, whatever you want to call it, nowadays for addicts and understanding, and the way that people have come together, uh, you know, it, it's. But it's, then there are people that are like I get really frustrated with people well, that are using it as a platform. See, this is where I get anti-politician because it is the people that are serving the people. You oh, know, yeah, people yeah. are running with these platforms to get elected and serve themselves. It's I, I, I almost oh, whatever's think most, trendy, yeah. Yeah. Oh time. my God, it just aggravates me to no end because you're not really doing anything. You're taking somebody else's story and you're using it to benefit yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly versus doing. Yeah. yeah, versus the true people that are getting out there and really doing the you know. Um, you know, look at all the in, in the addiction, the sponsors, the people that have to make the sacrifices to help somebody else get clean because somebody did it for them. That's the people. I can't wait till politicians are actively becoming people that have something to give mm-hmm. back, because you see it. You see community people like Marianne yeah. Morgan. You see people making an effort because they really want change and really want to do good. But the higher end politicians that go to school to be politicians and they have the West Point, you know, they graduate and all of these silver spoon type of things. They're so disconnected. Mm-hmm. How are you going to help? How are you going to help people that you have no connection to? Right. You can't. They're two different two different universes. Yeah. I'm connected <laughs> to a group that has like over sixty thousand followers on Facebook, which is Faces of Opioids, and I know the um, the organizer, the main person that created it, Melissa, um, and her and I have become very close. She lost a friend, and she was the one that put the Associated Press on me for my story and other things, and I've helped fund her yeah. her group, which created Little Faces. And um, so, anyway, I have this huge other connection to this as and multiple groups and well, stuff. I was going to say, would, would they allow you to share... His oh my book gosh, in there. yes. And, and the reason I'm asking that because, and this still blows me away. I wonder if Alicia's in that group. Uh, it's 60,000 strong. Yeah, she, it's huge. Biggest one on Facebook. She's in all those groups. Like, faces yeah. of Opioids, that's what it's called. And the, they do a, yeah, they're like non I'd like to tie into this Little Faces, too. Oh my God, they're so, and they're they're almost like, they struggle so hard. They are barely, barely keeping it together. And it's, they create, um... They send the kids cards. They create pillows from T-shirts. They do all this free. Um, so every year on their birthdays, they get something from this group. Yeah, and they do yeah. other things. And they just do some wonderful things. But they they have not been successful, even with 60,000 people at, That's incredible. at That's getting ridiculous. donations. It's, they can't even get... So, like, the... the you know, I did my main thing in 2018 for Chris, and now that I'm so far off the rails on so many other things, the Heart Project has become um, a smaller thing, but... I can promote these things. Obviously, the Passion for Polymer magazine article is coming mm. out, which that's my story. It's a very small story, but on my giving back um, in their magazine and all. But the Little Faces really needs some, some help um, as far as sustainability. They've been around since 2018. and Yeah, it's called Little Faces. And it is a, it, they have some limitations because of 
children. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. as far as so their their um, visibility is a little bit less. It's from in the group of faces of opioids, right, right. but they can't publish. You have they have to get permission to publish, and that was a blessing to me. Somebody sponsored my granddaughter the first year out. It broke my heart, you know. And they when the cards show up, I get all, you know, because she knows she knows her dad through memories. Oh, are you familiar with Rage Against Addiction at Absolutely. all? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we yeah. go and we. Um, Oh, no, I have. So I, I spoke at their last, um, the walk, the five k that they do every year, which is mm-hmm. huge. I mean, it was yeah. like thousands of people there this time. Right, right. I got up and spoke there, and so she just asked me to do a, a sell books and sign books and speak at their upcoming crab feast. Oh, it's like yeah. September sixth, sixth. Are you familiar with Grasp? Which is Craig and Tina's group from Mount Zion. Alicia, my fiance, is very involved with Grasp. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty oh, much in Hartford County. Ooh, it's all about that. the <laughs> September sixth. I can't believe I remembered that. Six uh, to nine p.m. Is, Thirty dollars all you can eat crabs. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah, that's see, that's the kind of stuff that has to get out there because she, she yeah. just messaged me this morning is, and said I, she needs help selling tickets. So well, here I am. I'm in the group and I didn't see tickets. What's your goal with the book? What's your well your hope? Is there? There's a couple different goals. I think I've already met my major goal. I said if it changes one person's life, then it was done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then it was worth it. What would I like to happen? Mm-hmm. I would like to. I would like to have it international, and I would like to make money. I mean, <laughs> so I have. Um, I would like to be a full-time author and sit in another country and write books. That's my dream. Yeah. But reality is uh-huh. if i make my money back that i invested in the book yeah yeah that's okay. a miracle in itself right it costs eleven thousand dollars to to get the book and that's not counting a, a single printed copy that's right. editing copy wow. editing mm-hmm. you know every it's a, it's a 450 page book it's a hundred eighty thousand dollar i mean a hundred eighty thousand word book and they charge per word to do stuff and it breaks it's it's not cheap it's very I, I wow. couldn't believe how expensive it was to write a book, which I guess yeah. and then the return as an author I couldn't believe. Like with a typical publishing company, if if your book sells for fifteen dollars, you make like twenty five cents a copy. Right. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. I thought no, I thought because they were like they were like if you um if you self publish you get about seventy percent royalty. Yeah. If you traditional publish you get ten percent. So I'm like, well then I'm gonna self publish right. and I'll promote it myself. And yeah. you know, that's what I'm thinking. And difference is so if I'm it's thinking, published professionally, they put more out. I'm thinking seventy percent royalty means if I sell it for fifteen bucks and I make nine bucks. Mm-hmm. When in reality it means <laughs> I make nine bucks minus the print cost. Right. Six dollars and fifty cents. So on a fifteen dollar book I really make two dollars and fifty cents, which means I have to sell four thousand five hundred copies just to make the investment back that it cost me to make the I book in like the first place. I might like to do something with him at my store. I might like to tie in. Um I was since I have the transient that. vendor space and I do the youth artists. And because the store is the exclusive carrier for the open hearts for opioids, might be able to tie this into to doing um, something. I'm, I see now there goes the brain. She just opened a store in Falston called Art the Soul Galleria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where she has 
basically I, all these different artists. Well, artists. A, it's a multi-element kind of a, a business thing. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but as soon as you come up with a great idea, everybody wants to copy that. Oh, so that, now I've got, oh my God. Every single I do. Did you see one I opening do. up in Westminster? They even have a dragonfly logo. That, that, that bothered me a little bit. I'm like, okay, just be a little bit more original. But anyway... Um, it is, it, of course, it's about sales, which is, you know, I now have 59 artists in um, wow. consignment and other things from Italy to Edgewood. But it, it was the three other elements that tied into this, one of which is the giving back so that every, um, it's a monthly um, event that we do some type of fundraising or promotion that benefits the community. That was paramount to me. This month we have, um, uh, we had Angel Gown Ministries last month. Um, we did... I can't even remember now. Oh my gosh, isn't that terrible? We're doing Luna's house this month, so we're doing animal rescue, mm -hmm. other things. But there's certain things I like to tie in, um, and then our we have a metaphysical kind of aspect, which is yoga, Reiki. You know, speaking to give a also a home for those things that are mm -hmm. more spiritual, I guess, um, and that kind of thing. Anyway, so on my radar is absolutely to do something. I almost hate to say it's somewhat trendy. Yeah. I, I'm not a part of the opioid epidemic because it's trendy. I'm a part of the opioid epidemic because of tragedy that mm -hmm. right, right, right. befalls my family. Um, but with that being said, you know, the whole purpose here was, A, to minimize the stigma and embrace the compassion that goes with this. Um, and to open the doors with awareness. And part of that awareness comes from every aspect, from the pastors that are out there who have had the losses to, you know, the people that are in recovery. Because, I mean, truthfully, you're, you're, the, you're the goal. You're the hope. You're the dream of all parents or all siblings that have, you know, those that are suffering an active addiction, is that hopefully they're able to, you know, pull up those bootstraps before it gets them. Uh, turn, not, not just become sober but to become successful and then the final you know leg in that relay would be to do something with it and give mm -hmm. back because um, most some people do it on a small end which is sponsors you know help that one person or those right. 10 people mm -hmm. you know but to help the children of because those children become the next counselors um addicts it's right. they run the whole gamut so right. you know if people had seen if they had had a crystal ball 30 years ago to know where drug, drug epidemics or things would go would we have made strides or done things differently right. so are we doing that now you know and i did hear most recently more than anything that deaths due to overdose were down for the first time mm -hmm. they and are. so it's it's having That's an good. impact i used to drive by that sign out in harford county and take a picture and post it all the time because i knew that that one of those ones was my son one year you know what i mean and that means it's everybody else's son or it's everybody so at work i work at apg okay so when you think about there, most of those people are highly educated. You know, there are people that have walked the planet in a certain, you know, capacity to stay on the straight and narrow because they have clearances. You know, they're the elitists, yet I'm getting emails almost, you know, every other month of somebody who lost their child. So these parents are losing their kids. These, you know, mm -hmm. so it's everywhere. There's no, there's nowhere. You can't go under a rock and hide. You can't teach your child not to do this, that, or the other, and it won't be them. You don't know who it's going to touch. There's no way to just distance yourself from this and think. Mm -hmm. So you might as well jump in wholeheartedly and do something positive. Do you know how many how many you've sold so far? I think we're around 20, I mean uh, 1,700. Yeah. Oh, we got to get that number up. I read a lot of different articles. They said the average indie author sells 250 books their first year. Wow. 250. It's not easy to sell books. It is not mm -hmm. easy. Wow. 
you know how bad I wince every single time I log online and people are like, I'm borrowing that book after you're done with it and I'm borrowing it after you're done with it. No, you know what I mean? I see, but Sydney, you know what? what am I going to do? You know, I learned my I'm lesson. I'm just happy people are reading it. You know what I mean? That's, I just have, yeah. it's just enough, to me, I, I, Learn to look at it. I'm not gonna. I'm not J.K. Rowling. I didn't write Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm not gonna get rich off of this. I'm just happy that people are reading it and it's a legacy. Right. The 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 purpose is better than money. Like yeah, I just had this discussion with somebody yesterday. It's more fulfilling than any you know, amount of money. To become a traditional artist now, the only way, unless you are really, really an exceptional, um, is that you have to have a platform. In order to be considered to become to be backed, you have to have at least. 20,000 followers and you have to bring your mm-hmm. audience to be an author yep. nowadays if you wow. want to be published it doesn't oh here's this they won't you, this could be the best thing you've ever written it read in your life uh, how many followers on Facebook Instagram 15 nope sorry yep. you've got to have the platform to be a traditional author nowadays because I'm in sites about how to write and how to self-publishing is one thing it is a labor of love it absolutely or, or the mission is bigger than the because if you if you are one of those people that's lucky enough to catch that wave where they pick you up but you have to realize you're competing against every celebrity you know mm-hmm. addiction is is one of those things that that much like tattoos now there's tattoo royalty it's become trendy do you know what I'm saying to say that you've survived so the people that are down there really trying to do the value which is get to the addict get to the parent get who's going to benefit from reading this mm-hmm. and make a difference make a I, I don't know there are some books in life that could turn you, you could hear 20 years from now as you're sitting in your Costa Rican home you know listening to a podcast hearing well uh, chasing a flawed son changed my life yeah. And that could be somebody that became a doctor. You know what I mean? You don't know. You don't if know. If I could show you the touch. messages I get now, like the one oh. I posted yesterday, mm-hmm. it's it's worth it. It's, it's, it's rewarding. Yeah. And God, it's, right. it's so it's amazing. Its reward like, is greater insane. than gold. That's yeah. what I think. You might have two two markets. Um, one of which you've already touched on is the prison system. Yeah. And the other is the educational system, school system, and getting yeah. the books in there. Uh, not just it's not just a little too raw for this. I was <laughs> going to say, no. yeah, I don't know if the school system would carry it. You know yeah. why you need raw? No, no, I'm not talking about grade K-12. I'm talking about university yeah. systems. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. No, you need raw. You know why? It was the, the reason they didn't pick us up for the Associated Press article. They followed my story. They heard about my son. They were interested in this and everything else, but I didn't cry enough tears. Yeah, yeah, They yeah. wanted the people that were, you know, the sister was suicidal and the mom lost her job. They wanted the people yeah, that, that whose lives were just completely mangled and well, yeah, it's like this book the drama, with the with the with the with the news with this book. First off, I send out press release and then Trump makes remarks about Baltimore. So it, that eats up the news for three weeks. They I went around West Baltimore to all the neighborhoods mentioned in that book that are all boarded up, dilapidated, rat infested areas and took <laughs> pictures of the book in front of those neighborhoods and, and shared them all over social media. And it got a lot of play and shares, but it didn't. It, well, it, what you need to is I like. Should've, I should have I should have put something to do with race in the book, in the title or the book, and it would have been blasted all you over know what the you entire should world. Do? <laughs> <laughs> Send a copy to him. To no, Trump. you're not. Yeah, seriously. The problem is, is that you're not reaching your target audience. Yeah. So, like, I belong to this group of three thousand moms, not in vain, and they just did something down in, in Florida or whatever. I'd have to read the book because I would never promote anything I hadn't. But if, but listening when you're first opening and you know, kind of hold myself back from tears. What what matters to people is the connection. Yeah. And when I'm listening to your story and the pieces that say, this was my son. It's not, it's you, but I, this is why he did what he did. The piece, 
if what you can give someone is peace of mind or recovery, that's your target audience because that's really who the book is written to. And you had said from the beginning it's about the parent, you know, you wanted to get the parents. Well, I'm the parent, you know, so it's all the people I know. It's the people that I'm connected to. The who does that who does that book need to go to? I give people the hearts I make because to me, why did I make a heart? It is because I wasn't giving somebody a gift of a polymer clay heart. I was giving them a gift of understanding. I was saying, mm -hmm. I feel you. That to somebody that's dealing with something that nobody understands means more than anything. I can't give them money. I can give them a hug, a hug last a minute for me to give them my understanding and my support to say, I'm here to help you. You know, that's a great gift to somebody. How do you, I could create, I could create a basket a basket that goes to like I did a memory box I create I made a memory box for my son when he when he passed that my um, daughter-in-law and my granddaughter it's for her so everything that's going into that memory box is for JC as she's old enough to understand it and so that's where this needs to go is your target audience and you're not reaching that target audience which are the people that's going to va have value to so that's where I would put my you just made me think of something too. If mm -hmm. somehow or another, if we could do a separate fundraiser and raise money to buy buy the books and yes. take them to the homeless shelter. Oh my gosh, N not just that, but think about it. Yeah, because I'm thinking about if I buy a book or mm -hmm. a couple and create these baskets, these giveaway baskets, trying to raise money to help maybe promote the little faces with the mm. heart and what it's through because they try I watch them do their fundraising so you know sometimes the life you change is the one that's not it is rejecting it mm -hmm. that book could be sitting on an end table for two years and finally somebody picks it up and and now they run and, and do whatever so to me it's the message fiction is fiction I can read a fiction book all day long I've always mm -hmm. been more you know, into the psychological part of non nonfiction, but that's a great idea. Fundraisers that actually fund to give you something that has value. Don't give me what I don't need. I don't need a donut. <laughs> 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 Obviously, I've had too many donuts. Well, and the thing is, is I think I've this got plenty of books to donate to. The whole idea though is to get the no, bill built. That's yeah, uh, yeah. you know, let the people. That's one. one of the, I felt in a way when I started reading the book is I'm reading it on my on the Kindle Fire. And I'm reading, I'm reading, I was like, in a way, I started feeling guilty. And I guess from having other authors on and what they, you know, how they don't get a lot of money from book sales, but that right. is, you know, what they're getting it from. It's like, I got to go buy the book. So when yeah. I went and bought the book, then it was her well, mind. Amazon but has the Kindle thing. Do you do? But that's what I got. What's back is investment. But through Kindle, it was free. Right. Yeah. Oh, it is? Well, when the um, if, if you have the Amazon monthly, Prime or whatever, yeah, you still get paid off of that though. Oh, That's you do? Okay. They they pay you by how many pages are read. Oh, so really? I've had like ninety eight thousand pages read. Oh, it okay. breaks down to something. Yeah. It, that ninety eight thousand dollars might break down to four hundred bucks or something. Yeah. I don't know. Is it on Barnes and Noble. Barnes too? and Noble, yeah, they've got it in the store too. They have got it in the store. What about other stores that carry books? I've went. I've went to all the small book retailers in the area and told them and presented them with the book and they don't carry it. I don't. I don't know. They say they'll look into it and they never do. So I. I don't know. Amazon, wow. Barnes Noble. Well, you need somebody to carry it that they emulate. Then all of a sudden everybody's going to want it. So you'd be surprised at how a little. Well, thing yeah, I mean, can a big Barnes thing. Noble has it on their shelves. You walk yeah. around yeah. and get it. Yeah, yeah. So what about the grocery stores though? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what it takes to no. get in there. I notice if I Google chasing the flawed son, I notice that it comes all up on Walmart. Uh, Walmart, you can get it through Walmart.com. But in order to be in the actual in those kind of stores, it's got to be a number one bestseller. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. 
To become Man. a New York Times bestseller, you have to sell 9,000 copies in a week. Oh, yeah, but God, when you told me that, I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're saying you know, uh, independent writer could be 250 copies in what, a, a year? year? Yeah, yeah, that's the average they say. That's why they want you now to have a platform. Yeah, which banking. is the only reason I've sold 1,700 copies right. is because have a platform. Yeah. of my following. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, well, we're definitely going to get more. Yeah, there are more people going to buy it. So I have had people <laughs> from like Minnesota and across the country that have randomly found it and messaged me like, wow, this did this for me. This yeah. So that's getting somebody outside the local area to tell me that they read it and they touched them, that's like huge because I know I have access here. I want to do book tours in Europe and India. <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse I can get to have to go to another country, I'm there. Do they have it in Costa Rica? Not yet. A few people have it in Costa Rica. I don't have it. I actually, it's it's funny because I did a, I I filmed an episode with Telemundo. Out of all the media resources that reached out to me, Telemundo. Really? The only one, and they filmed an hour-long documentary on me. Wow. It's supposed to air in the first week of September. I'm interested to see if it actually does. Wow. But they wanted to cover the addiction aspect, the nonprofit aspect, and the business aspect. Put together a press release so about that. We'll see if it airs. Uh, we'll Who see if it actually airs. Who's going to? Uh, uh, uh-huh. yeah. Who does what? Who does tell the them? The press release going to. Now, when you talk about press releases. Oh, well. There's um, com- there's just companies one online. I, th- I think I PR.com. I paid, is I paid several hundred dollars to a company, and they supposedly sent it out to all these places. Uh, and they show me a generator report of where it was sent out, but nothing. What's funny is if you Google oh, wow. if you Google um, chasing the flawed son, the only place that it shows up Yahoo Finance really published it. Huh. Wow. So that's what, and that's what one of the things that irritates me about when I started Harford County Living. All I kept looking for was good news, and it was hard to find. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, a lot of people still don't know about, it, but it it's got to be—it's got to be violence or race-related or politics-related. Yeah. Those are the only three. People Anything that's going to cause fear or arguments amongst people—those are the two things. That's, that, yeah, that's the drama and juice they want. I'm not expecting them to pick up the story just because I wrote a book. I'm not expecting them to pick up the story just because I'm a recovered addict that I wrote a book. But I, I think that the overall picture of the nonprofit and traveling overseas. Yeah. Plus the, the successful businessman part of it, plus the book, plus the going to the jails. The, the whole story makes a decent news story. I'm not yeah. I'm not delirious. Like I'm not jaded. I don't think that I deserve to be. But I think that the whole thing well, together, I, given what this. you've accomplished, yeah, I, I from think, what happened to you. But yeah. instead, instead they'll have some woman in a Roy Rogers or a McDonald's that tell somebody go back to your country, and that'll be international yeah. news all over the place. Right. You know, but they won't they won't pick up a good thing. <laughs> I'd said. <laughs> no, the reality yeah. of this is is that this is an epidemic. It has touched a huge amount of lives. You are able to speak from experience because you started a long time ago. Okay, so there's a difference with somebody that has two or three years of experiences versus your 18 years of sobriety and the pitfalls that that's had and how that affects the overall outcome or the mm-hmm. end of this. So I think you're a better than average example or story than most because I really don't care like I sent uh, Chris the book and um, and when he was in jail that he wanted to read and it was the drummer of one of the bands he followed I can't remember 
But my point being, if you're trying to reach a certain, a wide variety of people in the story, from the recovering addict, the using addict, the parents, the all the people this ties into, I can't relate to the drummer of so-and-so because he lived a completely different life. Do you right. know what I'm saying? So the value in this book is the, is the, the longevity, okay? The true experience from beginning to end. So that's why this is going to have more value than some celebrity that writes a book and shares his experience because drugs run rampant through the the, the oh, music yeah. industry and everything else and yeah. it's a, and it's but they don't share the same reality. I have nothing in common with Kim Kardashian. Okay, right, right. I'm just saying. And and while no, she is exactly a, right. while right. she's a role yeah. model and to everything else, I'm never going to connect to that story because it's right. never going to be me. Right. We used to have a joke in my in, in in my marriage that Chris Cornell was my hall pass because why? Only because I'd never really meet Chris Cornell. Right. Do you think my husband would sign up for that if he was actively in my life? Of course not. So the point being is that is that um, I, as a mom, have a lot of questions. I'm never going to have answered, right. never, because I don't because that chapter closed. So you know that's what touched a nerve for me in the beginning of this. It says, okay, I'm going to read this now because maybe I'll get some insight, and maybe that insight will be healing. Uh, who's going to give that to me? Um, not Kim Kardashian and whoever. Mm-hmm. The point being, these are real. These are real questions and real answers. Why do people love mediums? They love mediums because everybody's lost somebody. Okay, right. because of even if 50% of the population doesn't believe in it, 50% do. That's a billion. How many? 13 billion people or whatever. That's just in the U.S. or something. So there's absolutely an audience for this book yeah. because it, it has a deeper, more core value to somebody. It means something. And that's where you've got to find that audience. And it's missing. It's just now it's just out there like, you know, you got to throw that dart at the dartboard. And so that's why these groups, Faces of Opioids, not yeah. in vain. Um, it's going to have value to those people because it's going to mean something. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean something to my neighbor down there who raised perfect kids, that right. lives in a perfect house, that has a perfect job. It's so far out of their reality. They have, you yeah. know, they hear it on the news. So Yeah. Well, everybody go to Amazon. You can get the book there or at Barnes & Noble. Right, chasing a flawed son. Please share this podcast with everybody and share. God, just share the link out for the book too. Um, all my friends over in England, Italy, everywhere, Canada, share it. Get the book, Danny. Again, thank you. Thank and you. the Agape projects. Yes, sir. So we'll have a link for that on there as well. And Teresa, thank you so much. And we're going to get you out for some book signings too, man. Get the, I want want people to get this book. I mean, like I said, it's one of the best ones I've read so far. Once again, if you want to be on the Harford County Living Show, it is free to come on. Uh, Just contact us at podcast at harfordcountyliving.com or call 443-982-0250. And as a matter of fact, what I'm going to do uh, for somebody, if you want a chance to win a copy of Chasing a Flawed Son, just email special at harfordcountyliving.com and put in there in the subject that you're, you want to win Chasing a Flawed Son. And you know, out of all the entries that come in, we'll do, I'll do it for the whole month of September. And at the end of September, whoever wins, I'll go ahead and you will have a copy shipped to you. So. Well, actually, isn't heroin awareness or overdose like the 30th or 31st of August? Yeah. It's uh, coming up, actually. I'm just going to Google that. September. Yeah, but this will awareness yes. month. Yeah, yeah but this won't be for two weeks, so. No, but I'm just saying it was you kind of tied right into it. Oh, the, I knew that. That was my way. plan. Exactly.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Harford County Living. You can actually go to HartfordCountyLiving.com and click on podcast. And from there, click on the episode and there are links to our guests and our sponsors. And I encourage you to please, please visit them. Again, that's HartfordCountyLiving.com and click on podcast. Also, you can subscribe to the podcast from there as well. You also see a banner there that says, buy me a coffee. And if you click on that, you can make a contribution to the Harford County Living Show so we can keep this going. You can do either monthly or you can do a one-time fee. And what we're going to do at the end of each episode is mention all of those that have contributed so far. And so far, the ones that have made a contribution through Buy Me a Coffee are Robin Burke, Law Garrity, and you've heard him on the show several times, Carol Garrity, Rhonda Herb, who was actually listening up in Canada, Kathy, Cindy Skilton, Natalie Forrest, someone that's anonymous, of course, Mal Grisada Baker, and we have a monthly supporter, Recreating Wellness.